Revelation 1 verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. Well, there's a lot in that. So we got a lot to to dismantle and and take apart here. And in your workbook, there's a, a myriad, a flurry of questions on there about things to be looking at. But Uh, I'm going to open the doors to you all and and you tell me the things that you find interesting. Tell me about this picture of Jesus. Why are these images given? What is it teaching us about him? What he says about himself? There's a a lot of trails in here that we need to uncover. And so uh, you tell me what you see this uh, as we open into this prophecy, what is being said, why it's being said, what's being shown, why is it being shown? What are we supposed to learn from all of this, all of those great and wonderful things this morning? Charlotte? Okay. Yeah. So the imagery of, of Christ in verses 12 through 18 is not completely out of left field. There's a lot of different uh, pictures like this concerning God uh, in the Old Testament prophecies. Probably one of the closest is Daniel 10 verses 4 through 6. Uh, might be one of the closest closest places to that, but uh, certainly seems to be emerging together of a lot of different uh, uh, images with, uh, you know, the hairs of his head being white. Well, that's kind of Daniel 7 even. there's So you're kind of just grabbing from all over the place and throwing together this, this image of Jesus. Now, one of the things that has to be asked as you think about the pretty diverse image that's, that's given there about, about him is, why and maybe more importantly what is it trying to communicate about Jesus we have Ezekiel sorry Ezekiel that's that's you know when you're in visions on Sunday night you have John you have John here who is is seeing this vision he's caught up in the spirit he's on the Isle of Patmos he's in exile there and here is this this massive vision and he turns and looks and that's what he sees and so here's that big question. So, so what is he supposed to get from this? Because there's obviously a lot of ways God could reveal himself. If you've been in Sunday night, he could have turned and looked and saw the wheels and the wheels and all that going on. It's not what he turns and sees. He doesn't turn and see Isaiah 6, the grand throne room and the train and all of that. Going. 
doesn't see that. Uh, there's, so there's a lot of different ways God could, could show himself at this moment here in this vision. So what is this trying to show about God or about Christ uh, by using these particular images as you kind of throw them all together, Victoria? I'm Okay. Everything that I see, I love shiny. Yeah. So the metal, the fire. Good. And it also shows power and strength. Yeah. Everything as well as um, it basically light and power is yeah. what I got. Good. And of course, the seven. Yeah, you do see in a lot of the descriptions, things are bright and light, right? You have uh, <clears throat> you have pictures of. Uh, the head being white, eyes of flame of fire, feet are like burnished bronze. You have uh, his face shining like the sun in full strength. So it is it is a, a vision of Christ that you would kind of almost draw back and recoil a little bit because of how bright it is. Imagine if, if his face is shining like the fun, sun in full strength. All right. When you when you do that, what's what do you do? <laughs> you know, that's, that kind of draws you back like, ooh, okay. You know, you're, you're looking at that, Evan. He's still in the form of the Son of Man. Okay. So he still has this human form. Correct. So he's recognizable. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's the last they've seen Christ in a human form. Right. So there's a glorified human form that's being, being observed here. That you know, it doesn't look and ah, it looks like an animal. No, it's the son of man. It looks like human uh, in, in, in this, this scene, especially when you're able to identify hair, eyes, sash around, around the chest, mouth, hands. So we're seeing a human form, but a glorified human form here. Charlotte. And he's still interested in this earth. He's okay. Still the son of man. Sure. Yeah. Is, uh, is what, uh, to, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so why this imagery? Well, why are we seeing him with light and bright and shining? And we've got um, burnished bronze and a voice like roaring like many waters and uh, face shining like the sun. What what's what is this all driving at here? Yeah. I don't know if it's correct, but I'm just thinking you know, like he has authority over the seven churches. Okay. Yeah, I definitely think you certainly see a lot of authority in this, don't you? Uh, he, very much an a, authority uh, figure is is seen, and uh, you see that I think as you're bringing out, you have a, a curious picture here in verse twelve. Not only are you seeing the glory of this this uh, Son of Man, the Christ here, but it says that he sees seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands is, is him standing there. But he's not only standing there; says that in his right hand he's holding seven stars. So this is this is quite a visual that that you're you're getting about him. So certainly authority would 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 be one, Jim. Yeah. That's right. And, and that's what, and that's what verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And you're told back in verse 10, it's like the sound of the, the voice of a trumpet. And you're told in uh, verse end of verse 15, like the, the, the voice, like the roar of many waters. You've been somewhere where you get the roar of many waters. You know, like, a, have you been to like a Niagara Falls or some massive waterfall? <laughs> 
<laughs> I got to do the the uh, Niagara Falls one time. You know, you ride a boat like right practically, almost right into it before it like turns around and tries to get back out. You ever try talking on the. Hey, you know, this is really a bad time. <laughs> it's just so loud. Uh, this thunderous sound is just happening at that moment that you're just screaming at each other, trying to trying to communicate. So it's a it's a deafening sound uh, that 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 is given. Dathan. Yes, uh, it's interesting that there's a lot of interchangeable imagery that is often uh, spoken about to the Father that is identified uh, here here with with, with Christ, um, and I think that's that's interesting. One of the things that I do think the the book is trying to do is make that connection. You know, for example, back in verse eight, you have "I am the Alpha and the Omega," says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. But that seems to also be associated with Christ, because that's what what we're being connected to when you come out of verse five. So it's trying, I think, to identify that deity of Christ uh, as well as the authority and power that He possesses. Charlotte. All right. Well, that's the thing we need to talk about here. Okay, certainly the word of God. Why would we say that the two-edged sword is the word of God? Did you like <laughs> Okay. Right. And so Hebrews 4 gives, uses a wordy, wording of that. That might be the not the closest connect, though. Uh, though Hebrews 4 does speak of it as a sharp two-edged sword. Did your cross-references take you anywhere else about that kind of image? Well, certainly that would too. How about Old Testament, though? Since 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 uh, um, Revelation likes to to borrow imagery uh, fr- from the Old Old Testament, um, in Isaiah chapter eleven, and you have in verse three, after describing Christ and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Uh, Isaiah 11 and verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Here is this idea of here is the, the, the Christ and he's using his mouth to judge. So here's that same idea with sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth is you are seeing a picture of Christ with the power to judge. Uh, and the word of God would certainly be a tool of that, like Hebrews 4 is, is, is driving at. But, but I don't want you to look at, read that and go, well, everything Jesus says is the word of God. Well, okay, that's true. But that's not the idea. The idea is judgment. When you, the sword is coming out of his mouth, what's, what, it's an image of 
He has the authority to judge. He has the power to judge. He is coming and he's bringing judgment with him. That's one of the first big images that you're seeing uh, with with this glorified picture of, of Christ. Now tell me about what you see him saying about himself uh, in verses uh, 17 and 18. So first you have uh, John looking at the Son of Man and saying, here's what I saw. And just a, a staggering display of glory and an image of the authority and power to judge. But then he starts talking and saying stuff about himself as well, Kathy. Okay. Okay, so authority over life and death. That's a very important picture here, Julie. Good, absolutely. And, and, I'll, and I'll circle back into that standing in their midst in, the, in a few moments, but that's a very important picture to uh, what John is, is seeing in Christ and then hearing in, 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 in what he says, these words that he says. Now think about, of all the things that Jesus could say, fear not, I am, and if you wanted to have a line after that, a fill in the blank, there's a lot of things you could put in there. So there's got to be a reason why Jesus chooses these particular things to say about himself as he communicates to this first century audience who is uh, hearing these prophecies and dealing with the circumstances that they're in. Charlotte? Well, I think what he's saying is, in fact, I, I believe that Jesus coming to the earth and living is dying and being resurrected changed everything. Certainly. Sure. No, that's right. Yeah. And that's part of what he's he's describing there. I think that that's what's such, is such interesting wording. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died. Did you slow down over that one? Yeah, it's easy to kind of go right past the way. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Why say that? Like, of course you died. We, we know that. Why? Why, why does this need to be a, a key component to uh, Jesus' self-description, Dathan? I think if we, if we understand the, 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 the suffering and the tribulation yeah. that the Christians okay. were going through, uh, then the idea is, is, is uh, patient endurance, okay. as, as it said earlier. Sure. Perseverance, because... You know, the I am, I, you know, I am the one who was raised from the dead. Okay. It's a reference to the resurrection. Right. And more to patient endurance yeah. for them to persevere. Yeah. Is this, a, yeah it, it, this isn't a point of information. I died and now I'm alive. 
We know. (laughs) We're fully aware of that. Why do you need to tell them that? Because there's an implication. I died. So will you. And I'm alive. So will you. And that's driven by how he ends it. I have the keys of death and Hades. All right. Well, we need to talk about Hades a minute. Death, I think we got. What's Hades? I've got the keys of death and Hades. The grave. Okay. Seems like Hades does have a strong connection to the Old Testament where you'll read about Sheol. You'll talk about just the grave. Um, Do you know how the Greeks perceived Hades? I mean, not, don't get crazy on me, but (laughs) just basic idea what was Hades all about Dennis I I always view it as the opposite of paradise okay you die and then you'll live in heaven yet but in between if you're good you live a good life if you're in paradise your soul at rest okay what's good to come as opposed to Hades where you're you know you're doomed and where you're headed okay so you think more of a hell concept then? Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Any other understandings of what Hades is? You might remember in Luke 16, you have both Lazarus and the rich man going to Hades. So I don't know that it would be fair to make Hades negative. Uh, so what's Hades? <laughs> Who needs to be, to be challenging, right? Nathan, you're chomping at the bit. Yes. <laughs> Okay, similarly to the grave. Okay, a little bit more than that, Evan. <laughs> it's trying to wrap my brain from you know, uh, sort of the, the afterlife where it's just not very pleasant, but okay. it's not especially painful. It's, it's just sort of gray. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was, this, it was this weird idea of just this like realm of departed spirits, right? It's just kind of this, I don't know. Holding room might be a place that we might kind of call it. It's like, yes, it's the grave, death, Sheol. But there was a concept of, of spirits in Greek and Roman understanding. And sometimes we may not catch that. But they're not. This is the reason why bodily resurrection is really important. The idea of a spirit living on is not a struggle to them. But they... They, they thought that. They've got all kinds of writings about that. But saying the body was reanimated, that was a whole, you got to be kidding me. That's why you see like in, when Paul's in Athens, they're like, mm. <laughs> you know. So think of Hades more in terms of like, you know, the netherworld, this realm of departed spirits that would have been their mentality in that. So now... Why say this? What is Jesus getting at when he says, I died and I'm alive and I have the keys of death and Hades? Why Why do we need this right here, Victoria? I always think of it basically like a judgment room. It's where your body is going. And then you have, like you said, those, and he has the ability to send you either way. And that's like the okay. judgment spot. You will be seen by him. Okay. Okay. Uh, Casey? I, I was thinking maybe it would just be separation. Like, 
Okay, so if 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 you have the, the, this picture of I have okay, if you have the keys, what does that mean? Let's start this. Okay. If you've got the keys to the house, what what does that mean? You've got charge of the house, right? <laughs> so you have the keys, you own the house. So you've got the keys. That, 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 that's your car. That's your house. You've got charge. I have the keys of death, Hades, realm of the spirits, departed souls, that strange in between. <laughs> okay. So what is he saying by that? Okay, certainly would have that. Mike? Uh, trying to tie all things together when you talk about the sword and judgments. He, he obviously had the ability to judge and sin. Uh, I always understood it as kind of a, a, a holding tank, like God, if you will, where there's a separation. There's clear understanding that the rich men and Lazarus can see each other. Yeah. There's a clear understanding that you can see Abraham, or else they wouldn't yeah. be naming them. And yeah. apparently there's pain because there's to be yeah. which is you know crazy yeah uh, but uh, <laughs> the other thing too is uh, it all starts with kind of skim right over where John said he fell at his feet as a little dead yeah uh, yeah I'll come back to that too to you know to this judgment and to this acknowledgement of authority okay. but it's interesting too because when we kneel we kind of brace ourselves in preparation to kneel this just falls <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We'll have to spin back to that point too. That's an important point as as well. But uh, right, you were thinking again. That's mentioned of Luke fifteen, or if we look sixteen, where you have um, both rich man and Lazarus are in Hades, but they're experiencing different things there. You have one who's experiencing comfort and rest, and the other's experiencing torment and. They seem to be in this waiting of, of sorts of, of going on there. So that's why a lot of people think that Hades and Sheol are probably your closest connection of, of terminology. Sheol's in the Old Testament and seems to refer to the grave and what happens thereafter. And Hades seems to be tied to death and the grave and what happens uh, thereafter. But not the final outcome, not the final uh, uh, resting place, Evan. Mm-hmm. It's protected. You cannot come out of it. Right. So to have keys to it, right. means you can provide access All right. in and out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't this not giving you a concept that death has absolutely nothing to give you a reason to be afraid of? He has control of your spirit. He has control of that place. He has absolute control over everything. So death has absolutely no concern for the Christian and anything that happens afterward. To me, it seems to be trying to indicate anything that would have been in that first century Greco-Roman mind about death and what happens after death. Jesus is walking into that space and saying, I have keys over that. Whatever you think that's going to go on there, I've got that. If it's, are you concerned about death? I've got that. Grave, got that. Uh, what happens after death? I've got that. Realm of departed souls, got that. I'm in charge of all of that. And the reason I'm in charge of that 
is I died. <laughs> and I came alive again. And so if I died and went through that whole process and came back to life again, then you've got nothing to worry about with all that. You have no fear over all of that. And I think that is one of the ideas of when in seeing the power of Christ from verse 12 to verse 16, here is this glory and majesty and words you all threw up was authority and power. All right, you're seeing the glory and the authority of Jesus. And the thing that he wants you to tie that authority to is an image of judgment. Sword comes out of his mouth. And an image of power over death. I died. And that's going to be a big deal to the book. Because the book is going to talk about these people who are suffering and in tribulation and and are awaiting uh, for God to do something and being uh, avenging of souls and all all of that. And here is this imagery of Christ saying, I'm in charge of that, Stan. Um, I look at this as as, uh, also in contrast, because this is not the first time that John has seen a transition to brightness and glory. Because in Matthew 17, it happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, full-blown glory scene right there. Yeah, absolutely. Julie? So I thought of 1 Corinthians 15, with that, where death is swallowed in victory. Right. Um, you know, death was your, um, or death was your victory, or death was your sting. And then I love in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So it's not only, like you said, that authority, but it's victory. Yeah. And that's a direct reference to Hosea 13. When he, when he does use the word shield, he said, shall I ransom them from the power of shield? Yeah. Shall I redeem them from that? So when I read that, I really think of the word of victory. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there, there is this idea of something more after death, and Jesus is saying whatever. I, I don't know if he's necessarily particularly affirming whatever their points of view were about that, but perhaps more whatever your point of view about that was, I've got control of that. <laughs> Whatever you think is going on in that spirit realm, uh, I've got the keys over that. I, I'm the one who, who has authority over that and charge over that. Debbie? Uh, this is, it's probably neither here nor there. It's, it just occurred to me when, when John fell on his face, I, I realized he's uh, worshiping, he's uh, submitting, but he was so close to Jesus. And why would Jesus need to tell him All right, good question. Notice, let's let's bring that back around again in verse uh, 17. When John sees him, what happens? All right. And then he lays his right hand on me and says, do not fear. Debbie says, well, why would would he need to say that? That's probably nitpicking, but... No, no. Okay, good. And let's talk about then for that for a minute. What? What's? Why? Why would he be afraid, Matt? I, I think in many ways, when you look at scripture, it looks like Saul. You see yeah. Jesus in his glory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like seeing. How do you even try to describe it in human terms? But going seeing a bodybuilder on TV and then. <laughs> meeting them in real life. 
That's right. Uh, let, let's 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 try to work on some of those pieces because this isn't the only time God decides to allow a human to have a particular experience with Him. Uh, in Isaiah six, there's a vision. What does Isaiah say when he sees the throne room scene of God and the Lord and all of His glory in a vision? There. Yeah, I, 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 I should just die. I, I I am a person who is, has unclean. Woe is me! You say I'm undone, undone. Like I am a quivering mess, <laughs> right? Uh, I I am a disaster. I I cannot be here right now. This is unbelievable. Ezekiel he sees a. Vision of the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So, you know, was that four degrees removed, right? (laughs) It's not even the glory of God, but the vision of the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. What happens to him? Same thing, right? He falls down as dead. He can't even get up. Ezekiel, we're told the spirit picks him up repeatedly. He's down on the ground dead as well. Uh, in uh, in Daniel chapter ten, Daniel has a vision. What happens to Daniel? He's down on the ground, is dead. You come into the glory of God in a vision or some kind of likeness. It is always presented as a terrifying scene. In in Exodus nineteen and twenty, they don't see any glory of God. The the mountain is just smoking and quaking and shaking and the trumpet is just getting louder and louder and louder and the people there are at Mount Sinai and they are so terrified. They tell Moses, don't ever let God do that again. You go talk to him and tell us what he said. (laughs) We don't want to go through that because they thought they were going to die. Being in the presence of God is terrifying. It is a repetition that is given again and again and again. So I don't believe the terror is, oh, hey, it's Jesus, everything is okay. But that the glory of God is so astounding, it just near obliterates human flesh. And they're allowed to get just enough of it to say, this is terrifying. (laughs) This is awful. And, you know, to be fair, that is something we probably need a healthy dose reminder of. You know, that you're just not walking up to God going, hey, God, you know, this is you and me, buds, right? You know, it's just... You got to get a sense of you aren't standing when you come into the presence of God. Something, something I'm going to talk about in the lesson this morning, but I'd like to observe. Does that not make it fairly amazing that when Jesus is on the earth, that's not what's happening? That he chooses to conceal that to such a degree 
that people can come up to him? You know, only demons go, <laughs> we know who you are, you know. But he's allowing people just to interact with him. He could have let all that glory, you know, leak out, you know, like was pointed out. Matthew 17 for a few minutes there and some of it came out and they're like, whoa, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> This is, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. You're just speechless by, by what's taking place. I, I think that's the idea is that I don't think it's that necessarily God is, is saying, you know, be scared of me. It's a natural outcome to the glory of God in the face of humanity. It's just the natural. We can't handle that. We, we can't come anywhere near that. And all it does is absolutely obliterate everything about you when you finally get an appearance of the likeness of the glory of God in a vision just for, for a moment. I, I think that's the idea. No, that's what makes Ezekiel one so fun. No one has drawn that picture. I mean, you just how not, how do you put into words the glory of God? You can't. And so Ezekiel goes, "I'm going to take a shot at it." And we read that and go, "I have no idea what that looked like. That makes no sense whatsoever." You got things breaking the laws of physics. I, I don't even understand what's going on. And that's the way it ought to be. If God be God, it shouldn't make sense. It should be absolutely obliterating the universe in terms of what we understand. That's that's the greatness of, of God, Nathan. Back in Exodus, Moses said to God, show me your glory. That's right. And uh, yeah. you know, God hid him in the rock. Yeah. You can't see God's glory. No, no. That's not going to happen. So... Do you remember what, that's a good one. Do you remember how God revealed his glory there? You have to, you have to read through a chapter break to catch it. His back. He, yeah, his back. Okay, well, whatever that means. <laughs> you know? But there's more than that. He does reveal his glory. And he says, I am the Lord your God. And he starts describing himself, abundant and steadfast love and mercy. That's right. He, he, you know, read through the chapter break. You know, I'm going to see your glory. Well, you can't do that. that that's not going to work for you. Humans can't, can't begin to grasp that. But understand the glory of God is that character of love and mercy, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, and justice are, are, are big components to who God is. And so I, I do think you're, you're, you're seeing that here, Victoria. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So when he said he yeah. fell and had to be content as he picked up, mm-hmm. I was reading like exactly. Yeah. Right. Because just the sound of him would yeah. be That's it's no doubt. We should close the book at Genesis 1 3 and go, holy cow. Uh, he just spoke things into existence. <laughs> That's just unbelievable. Uh, and here he is speaking, and it's like, Woo. <laughs> that's why you always get that sound of uh, of great power. 
Now, one thing that, that Julie brought up earlier that I want to double back into here, because we've observed his authority and power to judge, his authority and power to, to give life. I have the keys of death and Hades. You have nothing to fear. But what was pointed out in verses 12 and 13 with him in the midst of the golden lampstands is explained a little bit more uh, there in, in verse 20. What is trying to be communicated with the Son of Man standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, which we're told in verse 20, are these seven churches to whom this book, this letter is going to be given? Why that image? What is that trying to to convey? Because that clearly is important since it starts with it and ends with it uh, in, in, in this section. Why put Christ in the middle with uh, the lampstands around him, what, what's that trying to, to, to drive at with that, Victoria? My thoughts were that um, in having to do with the stars, they are to be the one that shines a light okay. through his word. All right. Well, if the, the, think about here with the lampstands. They're the churches. All right. He's in the middle. Julie? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So he's not far away then, right? He, he's he's right there in in their very midst. So you're seeing the authority and the glory of God for a coming judgment, which is what we talked about last week. That need for repentance and judgment. The, the even those who pierced him. That's there back in verse seven. Uh, and then also the the picture of giving life. I've got the keys of death and Hades. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And, and the power of protection of being in the midst, uh, e- even though you're about to go through this, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right in the center. I'm not far away. I'm not distant. You have a, a Christ who is pictured right there with them in their very midst. So uh, those are important pictures that are given. Sure. Sure. That's right, and and it's it's a neat picture to see uh, him being so close to them at at, at this at this point. Um, what else do you see here? There's directions given. There are some other uh, pieces in here that we you might want to talk about, and if you don't, then I'll just ask at you, and then you'll have to answer. <laughs> sure. That's right, and and that certainly is is depicted uh, uh, in this in this image as well, with that power to give life and uh, how he was how he was able to accomplish it. Jesus went around talking that way and said, "You know, I, I'm the one who's who's come to deal with him," and that was that was visualized in the casting out of demons. But by, by that happening, you were seeing Christ's authority over Satan, over evil, over all of those components. There was nothing too strong for him in, in that. All right. What else do you see, Jim? Um, and verse 12 or 14, excuse me, when he says his eyes were like a flame of fire, I'm assuming that's some type of judgment. Probably. Then his feet burnished. Same idea, that judgment kind of imagery as, as well. Yeah, I do think 
I don't know that verses 14, 15, and 16 are intended for a dissection of every little thing. I think it can be done. But I think the takeaway very much is that glory and judgment imagery, feet like burnished bronze as refined in the fire, and a voice of, of, of the many waters and eyes of flame of fire, all of those are, are very much pictures of kind of that judging uh, strength Im- imagery, Evan. I'm just thinking how that compares to how Jesus is described physically in life. Yeah. Right? It's somebody who wouldn't even consider, consider it wretched. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does carry that, doesn't it? A really, really beautiful picture in that, Janet. I have a question I was wondering if anybody had that. I was like, you know, I'll just kind of skip over the hard parts and roll right along, right? You know, we'll just observe the Passover right there. Um, yeah, you have um, in. In verse 20 there, a statement that you have in his right hand, he says, as for the mystery of the seven stars you see in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It means what it says and it says what it means. And so there you go, right? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> seven stars and seven angels. <laughs> Some of them were. And there's going to be judgment for that okay. for them and for all of us. Okay. And the angels, I take it, are the ones who will carry out some of these judgments. Possible. Possible. So that's why the churches have these angels, because okay. they're going to execute some of these judgments. Possible. I mean, this is a really tricky one, isn't it? I mean, really trying to go with Dennis. <laughs> Well, this, uh, <laughs> this one's tough. <laughs> yeah, Hebrews one fourteen says, you know, it's like, are they not all ministering spirits or angels sent out to serve those who are going to inherit yeah. So, like, kind of the, the guardian the angel. Yeah. Kind of could very well be, right? I mean, I think that's a, a, a strong possibility is that, okay, uh, you might remember we were when we were in the Psalms, we, I, we posed this one point of view about spiritual beings and... Okay, what do we know about that? Not a whole lot. We get like these little windows and uh, each church having a, an angel watching over them. I have no problem with that. <laughs> that, would, that would be fine. You know, who's who's going to say anything about that? Is there another way to look at it? What's that? As a protector? Yeah, and I think that would be, be part of that imagery that you've seen Jesus with them surrounded and, and the eight stars like that. Stan, you got a shot? <laughs> yeah, the word angel comes Okay. And it could be that this is not a spiritual being, yeah. a person in the seven Yeah, it, it could be. So so I'll give you both sides of, of, of the argument since I only have one minute left and then you can decide for yourself. So if you're talking about a spiritual being, no problem with the idea of, okay, spiritual beings watching over people, watching over people of God, watching over the church is fine. It is one thing that's going to be a challenge is at the beginning of each of the letters, it says write to the angel. Well, how do you do that? How do you write a letter to an angel? So that's hard. I'm not sure about that. 
But if you go to the other side of the coin and go, okay, well, then it's human messengers. They're the ones who are going to carry this since John is on the Isle of Patmos. We've, it's not like he's walking around to be able to give it to us. So there are messengers who are going to take this message to those churches. And so that's why you would say write to this messenger, write these things about that church. Makes perfect sense. But then you're going to have to go, okay, so why are the messengers in the hand? Uh, I'm going to use my right hand. Why, is there, why are the messengers in his hand? Protection, okay. But it is interesting that you would have seven human beings that are designated away from those churches and put in his hand and say, they're in my hand. And that could be. So I just want you to see there are challenges with, with both. I won't quibble with you on, on, on either one. But writing to the spiritual angel, okay, how do you do that? And maybe there was a way and John knew what to do with that. Write to these human beings and they're the ones that are in my right hand. So then is the imagery... They're protected and safe in the work that they're doing for Christ and carrying out the message. That could be. But it's been a tricky thing that if you pick up books, they'll argue back and forth about that one. Going, okay, well, what do we mean by angels? Are we talking about human messengers? Or are we talking about spiritual beings? Both work. You, could, you can make both work. Uh, so being terribly decisive on it is not easy to do. And so the one that makes sense to you uh, most works out. So Dennis, you're fine. You're right on it. <laughs> Mike, we gotta stop. Yeah. Yeah. I said whatever your argument you guys make, I'm gonna agree with. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, angels do God's bidding, and our, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know. But we need a human messenger to carry the letter. Yeah, we do. So, uh, which one? Okay. Uh, so I, I think I've gone back and forth on that one. I probably on a fifty-one forty-nine leaning might go for the human messenger since it says to write to them. But boy, that's like on a. Ask me in a minute. I might flip back over. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to go either way with that. 14-minute break. We'll reconvene at uh, 1030 for our next hour of, of worship. We'll, we'll plan to get into Chapter 2 and start the seven churches of Asia next week. All right, 14-minute break. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.